All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, we are in the middle of our uh, series called Spiritual Habits, where we're just looking at uh, some of the things that are just basic to our faith. It's just who we are as the people of God, some of the things that God expects of us as His people, um, as well as just who God is, as well as what the Scriptures are, um, as well as this morning we're going to look at the church and we're going to talk about the church. Um, and I just I love to talk about the church. And I hope that you see why here in a few moments why um, I love to talk about the church because I believe even in our culture and our world today, the church is a very hot button topic. Uh, the church is something that is criticized. The church is something that is uh, uh, just examined very, very closely. The church is something that seems to be uh, frail and weak and falling apart. But I believe if we look at what Jesus says about his church, is, uh, who he says that we are as his people, uh, we'll see maybe that's the opposite. We're just working through. We're just allowing God to just shape and form and uh, mold us. And so we're just going to take the next couple weeks to really just dive into who the church is, what the church is, what our mission is, what uh, God has called us to do, how we're even to be set up and some of those things and just look very intently uh, over the next few weeks uh, at some of those things. And so I just believe that the church is very near and dear to God's heart. It, you can't read the scriptures and you can't divorce God from his church. Uh, and so there's a very important part to the church for us as the men and women of God. And so what I want to do is, is to do this, kind of like level the ground for us this morning, um, is, is do this. I want to just take a poll real fast. And I want to preface it like this, that this is a, a safe place. And so I, I'm going to need your help this morning. It's just going to be a show of hands real quick here in a few moments. Uh, just as we take this poll about who the church is, about maybe some of the stuff uh, that's happened to you in the church. And so the very first question I have for you is this. Um, who in here this morning has been hurt or burned by the church? Keep them up. Like if somebody's done you wrong or something didn't go the way you expected or you just, your feelings got hurt or something. Okay, look around. No, leave them up with this. Okay, good, good. Okay, hands down, hands down. Um, okay, maybe this, maybe this has happened too. And maybe it's not now. Maybe you are here this now in this place. Maybe not, I don't know. But, but who has lost maybe some trust or even hope in the church? Has that ever happened to you before? Hands up. All right, look around. All right, all right, good. Okay, hands down, hands down. Mm, this is a good one. Man, dang, we're talking about the church and we're already on a trajectory, aren't we? Um, Maybe this, who has ever felt like walking away from the church with really no desire to return? I haven't had enough, this is crazy. Look around. So I just kind of said something very important, I think, in the regards to that at the very heart of who God is, the church is very important to him. And what it looks like, or maybe the consensus this morning would be this, is that we've all had some issues with the church. We've all had some struggles with the church. We've all had struggles even in the church. And so my hope this morning is that, that God would use this little portion here of spiritual habits to maybe uh, kind of reveal some things and show some things and help us understand at a, at a deeper level of some things as it pertains to his church. And so what I'm going to do is for a moment just kind of pull back the curtain of my experience because I wasn't just raising my hand to try to coax you into to raising your hand. I raised my hand this morning because I felt the exact same way. As a guy on staff at a church, I felt the exact same way. So for me, growing up in West Virginia, uh, going to a little small church, um, we had some, and I was a kid, so I really don't remember a whole lot, but I'm sure there was some little head-butting stuff. When you're a small church of 20 and the majority of them are family, I mean, you're going to have some issues, right? 
I mean, it's just the way it goes. Um, and so I don't remember a whole lot there, guarded and protected, didn't really get super involved in church. And as a kid, you're really kind of guarded from things uh, until high school, get really involved in church in high school, um, then go away to college. And as I'm in college uh, studying to, to go into ministry, God preparing me, um, I have this opportunity to go on staff at a church close uh, to my college. Um, and so this opportunity to go in, I'm part-time, I'm a student pastor, I'm wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, and just ready to take on the world. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and I got in a lot of trouble in that church. Shocker, right? I don't know why y'all laugh at that. But, but I can remember, first time really on staff at a church, and this was a church that was recovering from some issues and um, almost like a church split, things like that, and they're recovering. And as that happens, uh, we have an interim pastor who has come in to try to uh, help bridge gaps and bring peace and restore, restore this thing. And so you got this uh, cocky, arrogant little punk kid that thinks he's ready to change the world and he knows everything about everything because he's in college learning. And so I've got all of this well of knowledge and, and I'm going to save the day. And I'm going to make this youth group the best youth group that there has ever been on planet Earth. And so I come in, and I can just remember, um, for me, part-time there, we start to kind of do more things as the youth group. We have kind of a more of a pre uh, presence in the services, those type of things. Then I get kind of bumped up to the announcement guy. Yeah. So, so that's why I do so good here, because I've got a long lineage of announcing stuff. Um, Really, honestly, no, that's horrible. But so I'm an announcement guy, and I can remember uh, one week we had a, a youth rally, and so we let the band that, that led the youth rally kind of lead service, and we had some of our kids doing some things, like a skit and some different stuff like that. And I can remember sitting there watching some of the people in that church, and I'm like, are you kidding me? There are some kids up there on that stage, and you were looking down your nose at them, and you're just like, you're disconnected, you could care less. There's, and after they get done, there's no clapping or excitement or encouragement. And I'm just like, announcement guy will fix that next week. Yeah, yeah. And so guess what announcement guy does? I'm making a little announcement about it. Announcement guy gets reprimanded the next week. And now my announcement privileges have been stripped. You make announcements. That's all you do. I preach. You make announcements. I don't even remember the pastor's name. That's horrible. I preach. You make announcements. If they need something, I'll get it to them. So I got stripped from that for about a month. And then I, I have the privilege to do announcements again with the pastor's assistance like right here. And an arm reach if he needs it. And so I'm up there and I'm doing announcements. And this was dirty on my part. God forgive me. Again, punk kid in college thinks he knows everything. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, um. so I'm reading the announcements first. I get through them. I'm like, oh, and by the way, there's been a rumor going around. Makes pastor nervous. So at this point, he's at an arm reach. Now he's attached to the hip. And so he allows me to continue. I don't know why he didn't just tackle me and like get me out of there. But, I, but the announcement that I made was that... Um, that there's a rumor going around that the youth group of this church is the greatest youth group in the whole wide world. And I said, and it is true. And everybody's like, yeah. And he's like, ah. And so it was just, it was one of those moments. And so we just kind of butted heads. And again, he was just kind of there to kind of guide. And I was the young punk kid that thought he knew everything. And so go from there to graduating college to get my first like full-time position in a church. And I'm in the church. And, and it, that lasts about two years until I have 30 minutes to clean out my office. Yeah, so that, I mean, you never want that phone call or you never want to have that conversation. I'm like, I don't know, what can I even take in 30 minutes? Let me tell you, you can take a lot in 30 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you've got a 30 minute head notice. So it, it just, it, it did not end well. And it was just a rough, rough, um, I guess, experience for me in the church. 
And then I go to uh, my next church, and um, we're just attending. Like, that's it. We just, Meredith and I, and it took a while for me to get her back in there. I mean, she was just, uh, these churches and these church folk, I just, uh, I said, I know they're messed up, aren't they? Just like us. Let's go, boo, in the car. And so I finally get in a car, and we get going. We get to this place, and we're going to this church for a little while. And we've been there for maybe a month, and the pastor calls me into his office. Look at my track record. And I can remember having that conversation. I'm like, I'm like, babe, I haven't even had a chance to say anything yet. How can I be in trouble already? And so he pulls me in and he's like, uh, Scott, we need to talk. And I'm like, uh, yes, I swear I didn't do it. He's like, do what? I said, okay, never mind, go ahead. Um, and he's like, no, he's like, I wanted to talk to you for a moment about maybe uh, coming on as student pastor here at this church with us. And just, uh, we've seen you invest in the kids, the gentleman that's over it just doesn't feel called to it. And so, and I'm like, oh, yes. And I don't know why I said yes, but, but what I said yes to was just a time of God. He's taught me so much leading up to that point. I've learned so much about, about myself because, again, I, I use those words young punk kid because I was a young punk kid and thought I knew, that, knew a lot, thought I knew everything. And, and what I found out as I grow, the more I thought that I knew was just I thought that I knew. And I've learned so, so much. But what God did in that time was shape me and mold me. And he allowed me to see that, that we as a church, we're going to talk about this here in a few moments, we've got issues, we've got struggles. Why? Because it's the men and women that walk through these doors that's the church. It's you and I. And with us, when we walk in, we walk in with hang-ups, we walk in with struggles, we walk in with a number of things that plagues us, and we bring it with us. And so often, my fear is that we don't handle or we don't deal with or we don't do what we need to do with those things. And so my hope throughout this little portion of this series is that we really get to pull back the curtain and we really get to see who the church is, what, what our purpose is, even the hang-ups and the messiness that comes with the church. Because again, as I said, the church is very, very near and dear to God's heart to the point of where he sends his son to die for her. And so the church is vital in this age, in this world, in this day. The church is vital to the heart of God. And so as we see the church begin, the, the story of the Christian church is just rather stunning. I mean, if you've ever looked at it in the scriptures, you have this handful of Jesus followers who become a global phenomenon only 2,000 years later. And so during his life, Jesus promised that this small group of disciples, that he was going to build his church by using them in a mighty, mighty way. And so what we see is following his resurrection, Jesus commands the church to do what? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he tells them to teach the people to, to obey all that I have commanded you. And so then we fast forward to the book of Acts. And at Pentecost, you have Peter preaching, and what happens? Over 3,000 are saved. And the church, it just blows up after the first gospel presentation, the first mention of the death and resurrection and the need of Jesus in your life, and the church just is booming. And then what we see throughout the book of Acts is it just outlines the growth and the development of this early church. And so it's a place where, uh, this church was a place where Christ was proclaimed, where people's needs were, were met, where love was had, and where Jesus was the primary focus and my fear today is that the church has lost view of that the church has taken their eyes off of their first love and and maybe it's nothing like it was when she first started and so as I was reading this week I came across a poll that that polled um, people in their late teens up to their late 30s and just asked them of their perception of the church and listen to the results out of that poll 87 percent says that the church is judgmental that's their primary view of the church is that they're judgmental 85% says that the church is hypocritical. You have 68% polled that said that the church is boring. 78% that says that the church is old-fashioned. 
You have 75% that were polled said that the church is too involved in politics. And 72% of the church, after they were asked, said that the church was out of touch with reality. I mean, that should break our heart. Because the reality is, if you ask those same people what they think about Jesus, probably their opinion of him is very, very different. And I think the disconnect is that they see the people of God very different from the the person and character of Jesus. And this should break our heart because what that poll was telling us is this, is that this world wants nothing to do with Jesus and his bride because of the men and women in this room. That the biggest hindrance of someone coming to church, learning about God, growing in the reality of who he is, is because of, of you and I in this building this morning. And the way that we represent him and live him outside of here. And my fear in that is it may be because we think that the church is this building and a name on a sign, and the church is far from a building and a name on a sign, and I'm going to try to prove and, and show that to you. So, so what is the church? What, what does that mean whenever I say that? Because the church is not a holy building where spiritual meetings take place. The church is not a moral police force or of society seeking mere behavioral change through different legislations. The church is not a weekly uh, meeting where people gather to do spiritual things. None of those things are the church. But what is the church? So I want to give you the definition of the church real quick. The definition is this. The local church is a community of regenerated believers. We talked about it over the last couple of weeks. We're born again. We're, we've crossed from death to life. What we celebrated this morning, that's true about the church. We're, we're a saved people as a result of confession with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then in obedience to the scriptures, we organize under qualified leadership. We gather regularly for preaching and worship. We observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. We are unified by the Spirit. We are disciplined for holiness and we scatter to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and, their, and our joy. That's who the church is. That's what it is. And that, 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 this building can do none of that. But the men and women that sit in this building that occupy it this morning are well and able to do exactly what I just said. Come to a saving faith in Christ. Be commissioned to go and tell this world about Jesus Christ celebrating believers' baptism and in taking of the elements of communion to go and live out the great commission and the great commandment. We can, we can do all of those things for the great name of Jesus Christ. So what are some of the characteristics of the church? Because when we're speaking of the church, it's important to distinguish between the universal church and the local church. And so the universal church is all of God's people in all times and places. So it's the church in Nepal this morning. It's the church in Africa this morning. It's the church in China this morning, which is flourishing and doing quite well, actually. It's the church in America. It's the church in Mexico. It's the church in Australia. It's the global church in the Congo to to the big city. That is the church. Everyone who takes the name of Christ, who has come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through faith, that is the church universal. But the local church is the smaller gatherings of that universal church where we assemble as God's people. Lift high and make much of the name of Christ. And so in the original language, when you see church or when we talk about church, it's ecclesia. Ecclesia is just a church. It means gathering or meeting assembly. It's the called out ones who gather and meet and are scattered. And so there's some characterizations of the church that we need to talk about. There's six of them or seven of them. The, the first one is this, is that we're unified by the confession and shared life of Christ through the Spirit. We're unified through the reality of who Jesus Christ is through our confession of faith and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the second characterization is this, is that we're holy. 
is that we're set apart, that we're different, that we're Christ-like in character, the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we react. All of that is representation of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The third thing is that we're Catholic. And what I mean by that is this, it's universal. It is that we're universal. There's no limits to time or space. Is that Jesus is Lord of all believers, regardless of where they're at. That we're apostolic, we're under the apostolic authority, that we follow the faith and the life of the apostles in Scripture. We see how that they, they did it. We see the things that they said inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we listen to, and we follow, and we obey, and we live a life of holiness. The fifth thing that characterizes us as the church is that we proclaim the Word of God. It is that everything that we do is based around the Holy Scriptures that our creator has spoken to us, that our creator has given us his word, his expectations, his standards of holiness, his way of living and being. And we follow those and we proclaim those. The sixth thing that characterizes us is the right administration of the sacraments. And when I talk about sacraments, I just mean believer's baptism. Like you, you know that there's nothing special about this. There's nothing special about the water. All it is is a, it doesn't save you. It doesn't make you holy. What, what baptism is is just simply this, is someone saying that, that I profess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so this is an identifier. This is what that is. Baptism is an identifier. It's me saying I belong to Christ and I'm going to proclaim it to the world. And I don't care who, who, what anybody thinks about it, but that Jesus Christ is my number one. And so you go down and you're raised to newness of life. It's that, it's that image of crossing from death to life, what Christ has done in the heart of a person, in new birth and regeneration. That's what baptism is. And so for us as the church, we celebrate that. We hold to that. We hold to that as the first steps of obedience for the believer. That's, that's where we step out and we follow Christ in believer's baptism. Uh, administering the sacraments. Next is, is communion, us taking communion. And actually this morning, we're gonna celebrate that. But we're going to take communion in this place if, if you feel led to. But, but it's, it's saying the same thing. It's us identifying to belong to Jesus Christ. And it's Paul there in that upper room. As he, as he, or Jesus there in that upper room. He tells them to take of, of this as a representation of his body and his blood and the sacrifice for what he did for us. And you celebrate who he is. And so we, we take part in the sacraments. And the seventh thing that characterizes us is, is discipline is that we love people enough to tell them that they're wrong or that they're living outside of, of the direction and, and uh, bonds of God that they need to be focused in on and following Christ if you proclaim to be His. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at some of these factors in Ephesians chapter 2, some of these characteristics and the things that we've talked about this morning as, as Paul uh, mentions the church and talks about the church in Ephesians chapter two seventeen, and, and this is what God's Word says. And He... He being Jesus here, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, what we have here is the church at Ephesus, and, and this is how they would have heard this, because this is where they were at in life. There were those who understood that the Messiah was coming, understood that, that Jesus was coming, and he was coming for, for his people. And so there were those Jews, and, and there were in this context, those who were religiously working, trying to get to God trying to make their way to God. And so through the person and work of Christ, he, is, he takes those who are near and those who are, are far, and what he does is he makes them a people. He brings them together and he makes them a people. How? Through faith in him. 
through faith in him. So whether you've been someone who's grown up in the church, you've been around this all your life, uh, you, you, you know who Jesus is, you've heard the stories, you've, you've been around it, you've been to VBS, you've done all those things, or whether you're a person that is far from God, never heard of, doesn't really understand or know the crazy things that the church does. I mean, people raise their hands in worship. Do they have a question or, or what's going on? Are they trying to stretch? I mean, whether you know a lot or you know nothing, that's kind of the picture that's being painted here as Paul talks to the believers there in Ephesus. And here's how he describes those people as he continues in verse 18. It says, for through him, him being Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So what the Bible tells us here is this, is that we are sojourners, we are aliens, and we are strangers and what happens is Christ speaks peace. Jesus speaks peace to those who are far and those who are near. And he brings us together as his people. And then not only that, he also calls us a part of his new kingdom. This new kingdom that he's creating. This new thing that he is doing. And so he makes us fellow citizens with the saints. He makes us part of the family. So those near, those far, when they come to faith in Christ, they are adopted in and we become family. We become an heir of the king. And so Jesus says that we are a household of God. So what that does, church, is gives us special access. We're not just visiting, but when we walk through these doors as a believer, when we join and become part of this church, we're at home. This is now home. The person next to you is family. The person on this side of the room is family. The person on this side of the room, we become family with the headship of Christ. We are in the body of God. So we're home. And so, so please, please hear me and get this today. That church is not a place, but church is a people. Church is not a place. Church is a people. And so what God is doing is with people, not a building. Like you get that, don't you? What God is doing is with a, a group of men and women and kids. He's, he's doing a work in the hearts of people, not a building. Like you, do you know what happens at 12 o'clock here whenever you leave? Nothing. Nothing. And it's not like God just hangs out here and this is just where he's at until Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and, uh, uh, and Wednesday night at 6.30 and then he's like, oh, let me get with it. They're coming in. No, 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 no. No. There's nothing special about this place. It's brick and mortar. It's, it's sheetrock and it's fancy paint and little paint everywhere. It's doing whatever it's doing right now even. I mean, it's, it's junky. Why? Because it's a building that doesn't have a soul and it means nothing. Because this is not the church. 350 is not the church. The church is up and down Old Furnace Road. The church is over in Inman. The church is in Bolton Springs. The church is in Chesney. The church is in Spartanburg Districts. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The church is here gathered this morning as the men and women of God. But they are going to scatter here in a few minutes. And that's when we have the opportunity to be the most successful for the glory and honor of Christ because this is just a building and God's doing something with people. So you find the presence and the power of God is present here in this gathering because God's dwelling place, the church, is a people, not a place. God's gathering a people, not a place, not a building. And so this is a building and there's nothing special about it. Let's continue. Verse 20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so normally when we see this phrase used in the scripture, it's just a reference to the two highest offices in the New Testament church. But, but what the apostles and the prophets did, they would proclaim to the people of God the word of God. 
That's what he's talking about here. Built upon the foundations of the prophets and the apostles. It's, it's the word that they proclaimed. So it's why week in and week out, what do we do? We turn to the book. We always go to God's word. It's why I'm always pointing you to God's word. It's why I'm saying, look at what God has to say here. Hear what God has to say. Look at what God's doing. Look at, at what he, how he says this works. Because I have no authority to say anything. So what do I do? I point to the one that does. And we always go to God's word. His message, his word is what matters. And it's always going to be the driving force behind everything that we do, behind who we are as a people and by what, behind what we follow. And so what did God have to say? He said the gospel. He proclaimed the gospel to us. And so the gospel should be our passion as the church. It should be the very message that we proclaim over and over and over. And so we see this pattern in the book of Acts 2 that breaks down to three aspects. One, it breaks down to the revelation or what God did. It breaks down to two, the response or, or what we do. And it breaks down to three, the results or what God gives. And so the first thing, what did God do? He sent his son. It's the gospel presentation. It's the gospel message. Jesus Christ comes and lives a perfect life, sinless. He's crucified a criminal's death on the cross. Taking our sin and our shame upon him, he goes to the cross. He dies only three days later to resurrect and come back to life. And now where is he? He rules and reigns at the right hand of God. So he pays a debt that we could never pay. He takes for us the just punishment of sin. And every one of us in this room deserves that. But Jesus says, I'll take it for them. And so we enter into relationship with him and he covers us. So that's what God did. The second thing is, what do we do? Well, we repent. See, repentance is spirit-empowered acknowledgement of sin that results in a change of mind about, about who and what is Lord in our life. It's coming to that realization, allowing God to convict and draw us to his side, showing us of the sin and the struggle in our life, and whereby we beg of him to change our mind, change our heart in regards to sin. It's a change of behavior follows this act of repentance. That's what happens. And so what does God give? God gives the Holy Spirit. He gives a new heart. He gives new life. That's what he does. And so he goes on in this scripture in verse 20. He says this. He says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what this means is this. is that Jesus as our cornerstone. He holds all of this. He holds the church together. He is the very foundation upon which the church is built. He's the very starting point, the point... <clears throat> that gets everything else square, everything else lined up, everything else in perfect order. So what it's saying is this, is that Jesus is the one who leads the church. Jesus is the head and the senior pastor of the church. Not the guy that stands on the stage, not the guy with the, the microphone. No, it's Christ. Christ leads his church. He is the head of the church. And so the Bible describes three separate offices for believers. One is the elder pastors, the, the pastors. The, the second position is deacons, and the third position is members of the church. And we'll look more in depth at those over the next few weeks, but, but that's how the church is broken down in leadership. So you have Christ <clears throat> as the cornerstone, and he's all about ex us experiencing grace and mercy, not just intellectually, but, but also knowing it, not just being able to define it, but experientially walking out in God's grace, knowing God's grace, God's mercy. So Christ as a cornerstone means that we've experienced things and now we're able to extend the exact same things that we've experienced and we've come to know because we've been recipients of them. Why? Because our cornerstone has laid out what that looks like and what that means, so the love of God. We've experienced God's love, so what do we do? We extend God's love. 
We've experienced God's grace, so what do we do? We give God's grace. We've experienced God's mercy, so what do we do? We give God's mercy. We've, ex- we've experienced God's graciousness, so what do we do? We give grace. We've experienced God's compassion, so what do we do? We live out and give God's compassion. And so what Jesus being the cornerstone means is that he is the one that keeps us, the church, focused and headed in the right direction. He is the one that sets the trajectory of his church. And how do we know that? How do we find that? It's in his word. Hear me, the methods are always going to change. So what this church looks like, even in a year from now, is going to be drastically different. We're going to constantly be shifting and moving and doing, but you know what doesn't change is the very word of God. And that's the very thing that, that we hold to, the very thing that we look to every single time. What do we do? We follow God's word. How do we reach the people? That's going to change. That's going to look different. That's going to happen in different ways. We're going to do different things to, to draw and attract. Why? So we can give the message of God. So we can be the word of God in people's lives. But we're going to go back to the very cornerstone, the very direction that Christ has set for his church, the very words that he has said. And, and then I just absolutely love this next part. And, and it just becomes so important for those of you who have felt banged up or kicked or beat up by the church. And my prayer this week as I've looked at this and I've prayed about this and I've studied this is that, that God will just open up our heart and our eyes to the reality of what, what he's about to say here in this, in this next verse in 21. So, so, so important that you get this, that you hear this. So he goes on and he says this in verse 21. He says, in whom the whole structure, that's the church, the body, the bride, that's the people, the, the whole structure, in whom, it's in Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. So what this verse is saying is that we're all over the map. That we're all over the map. And I'm not talking about uh, location type wise. I'm talking about spiritual wise. I'm talking about where we're at as believers. And so uh, I'm going to try to illustrate for a second and then maybe this will kind of bring to light some of the reality of, of what this place looks like on a Sunday morning and what this means for us. So for me, um, it'll be 13 years this May for me being married to this lovely lady right here. Everybody say, hey, Meredith. Um, that means I'm going to die after the service. It's great being your pastor. So for 13 years of me, I've been married. It'll be 13 years this coming May, and it has been, it has been an amazing marriage. Um, I've learned a ton. Gosh, have I learned a ton. Um, and and so, so what I'm talking about here being all over the map is this, is that one day God saw fit to join this boy and this girl and bring them together and make them one. There's this one flesh principle in the scriptures when you marry and you join with your spouse. Now the thing about that is this, is that this one boy grew up out in the country just loving life, carefree, doesn't have a worry in the world. And he marries this girl from the city. And we are different. So different. But God does the work and he brings us together. She loves Jesus very much. I love Jesus very much. And so now what we have to do is try to figure out all of our other junk that we bring with us. Because this boy's got some issues that he's had to work through where, where he's allowed things to overtake him. He's out certain sins and certain struggles. And guess what? So is this girl. She's got some things that she has to work through and she has to figure out certain sins and certain tendencies and certain things like that. And I would even go this far to say, is the boy probably struggles with a little bit more than the girl does? No, nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing there. Okay, I'll just keep going. And so what happens is he brings us together and he starts to do a work in us. Two people who love him very much and have a love for one another, but there are still tendencies like, I didn't realize this. As a bachelor, as a dude, living by yourself, did you know that guys just have a smell? And I didn't even know that till I got married. And I'm like, dang, girls smell good all the time. 
that is awesome. Well, we bathe and we use products and we do stuff to help ourselves, Scott. And so I learned that. And then did you know this, that after you shower and stuff like that, that the towels, they don't just automatically make it to the dirty laundry basket? There's not a fairy that comes along and hauls those things off and puts them there? Oh, no, 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 no. And what I learned quick is that that wasn't my wife's job. Thanks, Mom. That wasn't my wife's job. No, 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 no. But see, I had some tendencies and I had some things that I had to learn and I had to figure out. And, and, and you learn to figure those out real, real quick. Why? Because the saying goes true. If mama ain't happy, what? Nobody's happy. I like happy mama. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that, that just bodes well. That bodes well for, for the dude of the house. And so I learned some of that. So when I look at the church and when I see the church, this is what I see. I see a, a room full of people who come in with their own tendencies, their own hang-ups, their own thoughts, their own, their own direction, their own vision, their own, their own stuff. And what has happened is this, is that we have gathered together and we have gathered under the banner and name of Jesus Christ and we say that we're going to be about the same things. But the problem with that is this, is that we all have different preferences, Every single one of us has different preferences and what we like and what we think the church should be and how we think the church should do things and how they should do this or they should do that or they should sing this or they should sing that or he should preach like this or he should only go for 15 minutes or that's never going to happen. But, but those type of things. And then on top of that, there's, there's this thing called spiritual maturity that's happening. And there are some in this room this morning that are very, very mature in their faith who have been following Jesus for an extended period of time who have really grown in the, the knowledge and understanding of, of God's goodness and God's grace. There's those who have grown in, the, in their ability to even extend God's goodness and God's grace, where they've learned to walk peaceably with men, and where they've learned to chew on and have a desire and a hunger for God's word, and they've given into it to live holy lives. There's a maturity level where they don't just read God's word, but they read it and they apply it to their life and they live it out. But then, there are some in this room, what the Bible would call, not me, what the scriptures would call infants in the faith. Maybe they don't know a lot of the Bible or they're not very well inclined to obey it. And maybe that's just from a number of reasons, and I'm not even going to get into it all now. We'll get into that down the road one day. But there's some who gather here who, this is just the thing that you do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or... This is just the start to your week. And, and, and you love God, but there's never just been that trying to push through and try to really hear and understand what the scriptures say and try to feed yourself with God's word and try to live out and obey what God's word says because maturity isn't just knowing a bunch of stuff about Jesus. Uh, maturity is what you do with the stuff that you know about Jesus. Do you live it out? Do you follow it out? Do you act upon it? What do you do with the things that God reveals to you and shows you? And, and, and you, that means you've got to spend time with him. That means you've got to be around him. And you do that through his word. You do that through all of us messed up believers getting together. We do that in small group settings. We do that in large group settings. We do that in fellowships. We do that in, in serious focus times. But, but we do all of those things. And what they do is it helps us mature and it helps us grow. And, and for the mature person, they act upon that and they live out and they be Jesus in our world. For the one that's not mature, they're very self-centered, very me-focused. What can the church do for me only? What, what do I like best? What makes me happy? All of those type of things. And so what happens this morning in this place is this, is that you've got mature people in Christ and you've got immature people in Christ. 
And what I would press you with this morning, and what I've learned in my walk, is that I always think I'm a little further than I am. And what happens is God likes to just pull the, pull the rug just a little bit to show me and, and to remind me and point out some of those areas where I may be not as far along in as I think I am. But what happens in this place is that we all gather. But with Jesus being the cornerstone, it creates an environment where, where the big mature stones can nestle up to those smaller stones and then he begins to build together a people on that. He begins to build a people on that, which is amazing, but it also explains some of the hiccups of a local church that they have. Because what happens is if you have a bunch of infants and small children, what do you get spiritually? You get a mess. It was like last night, we go out to eat. My family's in this weekend, and we go out, and we're, we're eating. And as we're out there, and we're eating, um, I've got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And for whatever reason, my seven-year-old is just off the chains. So, so we sit down, and within the, the first five minutes of being there in that place, what happens? The waiter has to come twice with this wad of napkins. I'm like, dude, you're seven. You've been eating for seven years and drinking for seven years. How does Sprite just come out of your nose all of a sudden? There was no joke. There was no TV. There was no nothing. And he's just like blowing Sprite out of his nose. Waiter, clean up on aisle three with the Millers. And then he's, he's, he's sipping the little soup stuff in the bowl. And I mean, he's seven. He is fully functional as a seven-year-old to eat and to take soup in. And for whatever reason, half of it goes everywhere. And in that moment, I'm like, this is a great illustration about the reality of us as a people of God. Yeah, we're fully capable and we're fully able to, but the problem is this, is that we've all got tendencies and we've all got struggles. And the thing that I had to remember, Scotty's seven, and those seven-year-olds should be further along. Sometimes they just revert back. So you may have been in church all your life or you may have just been new to this thing, but there's times and tendencies that we have that we've got to kill, and sometimes we revert back. And we're all in process. God is working on all of us. All of us. And so I want to say that to say this because I got in trouble about a year ago for saying this. But I just believe it because I've seen it. Because I know what's, I know what's in me and what I can do. But the reality of this, and I'm just, I'm just going to out our church for a moment. Um, we're going to fail you. We're going to mess up. So if, if you're new here and you're coming or you're visiting or you've just started coming, listen, just give us some time. We're going to spill the soup all over the table. There's going to come Sprite out of our nose. All of that stuff's going to happen. Why? Because we are people in process. And God is working and doing. And if you don't think the men and women in this place and the seats next to you is going to do that, just give me some time and I guarantee I'm going to. And what I mean by that is this, is as I'm not going to be there in time or I'm not going to say the right thing or I'm going to preach too long or I'm going to preach too hard or I'm going to come across mean or I'm going to just completely forget or I'm going to have all of this stuff happen. Why? Because God is working in me. He is shaping me and he is molding me. And the reality is this, he's doing that for everybody else in the room. And we're all in process and we're all maturing and growing. And so you sprinkle in on top of immature and mature, you sprinkle in on top of that some people that are lost and their expectations, and their wants, and their desires. And so hear me, the church will always be a place that has, has those who are mature and those who are maturing but, not are, cur- but are currently immature. And what I've learned is that's messy. That's difficult. Because we all have our own tendencies, we all have our own wants, and what we have to do and what the maturing person does is die to self off of the glory and honor of Christ. So it's not about me, but it's about him. That's what a mature church member looks like. A hunger and desire for God and a dying to self. So what we're going to do is this, is we're going to 
prepare our hearts to be gracious. We're going to pray and ask God to help us be gracious to others. We're going to prepare to be found that, that, that we're maturing and we're working toward it. So we're going to extend the common graces that God has extended to us. So we're going to extend grace and forgiveness to those who harm us, to those who hurt us, especially in the, the local gathering of the saints because, hear me, there are babies present and there are a lot of babies here that, that need to see and experience the grace and mercy of Christ in a hunger in a mature believer. And I say all of that to say this, that, that that maturity that I'm talking about has little to do with your age. Little to do with your age. The way that I say it is this, is that there are babies who can shave. That there are babies who can shave. Those who have been around it, those who know the lingo, those who, who, who can pick up the razor and do some stuff with it, but the reality is this, is that their heart and their desires and their longings is not matching up with, with what they look like. So we've got to be growing and maturing. And then he finishes up in verse 22 and he says, it says, in him, him being Jesus, you, that's the church, are, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so God is building a people for himself to do what? To show how glorious and great he truly is in this world. We, we've been gathered, we've been put together in him who Christ. We've been built together into a dwelling place. God is housed in us. He lives in us. He takes up residence in us at salvation. And he unites us under the same banner of his name. And so that's what the church is. And when I say church, I'm talking about us as the redeemed, us as the saints. We're the very place where God resides, where he takes up residence. And so I want to ask the band to come back up, and they're going to lead us this morning in a, in a time of response. And so what I want to do is I, want to, I just want to read real quick to you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And I believe that this kind of sums it up, and it kind of shows the heart of what we've been talking about a little bit this morning. He says this, Charles Spurgeon says, The church is not perfect, but woe to the man who finds pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. So this prince of preachers, this godly just theologian of his day, says the church is not perfect. But woe to that man who finds enjoyment in pointing out her imperfections. Who wants to pick her apart. Who wants to dissect her. Who wants to cause ridicule. Woe to them. He says, Christ loved his church and let us do the same. I have no doubt that the Lord can see more faults in his church than I can. And I have equal confidence that he sees no faults at all. I mean, I love that statement. Let, let, me, let me read it again. I have no doubt, this is Charles Spurgeon, I have no doubt that the Lord sees, can see more faults in his church than I can. God knows the heart, don't he? God sees the motives. God sees the stuff that I've mentioned that we, that we struggle with and nobody else in the room really knows about. So God sees all the issues with his church. But he says, I have equal confidence that he sees no fault at all. Thank God, Right? Why? Because we're covered by the blood of Christ. We're his body. We're his people. And he's done a work in Christ for us, has he not? So though we're messy, though we've got issues, though we've got struggles, the reality is this, for those of us who are found in Christ, man, all that's been forgiven and done away with. It doesn't mean that we just check out and we get to live however we want to. It means that we live grateful, appreciative lives to the one who's given it all for us. He says, because he covers her faults with his own love, that love which covers a multitude of sins and he has removed all of her defilements with that precious blood which washes away all the transgressions of his people. So yes, we're messed up. Yes, we've got struggles. Yes, we've got issues. But Jesus Christ so loves the world and he sets a trajectory for his church, his people. 
And who does he use? And this is what blows me away. Who does he use to reach this world for his glory and his honor? Us. Broken down, messed up, saved us. And us is the church. Not the name on a sign. Not the building. But those of us who gather in this place this morning under the banner of Christ. We're the church. You and me. And he uses us, messed up us, to do what? Go reach other messed up people, don't he? Because what I love is, is, is all of my issues that I've had with the church growing up, what that has done is it's taught me and it has shown me some issues in me. So now what I get to do is I get to join with other believers and I get to walk with them and I get to help point out some of those areas that, that they don't see. And, and that's what they get to do with me. Hey, Scott, have you thought about this? Hey, Scott, do you see this? Hey, Scott, are you? And, and they get to point out and love me enough to call me on it. And what does that do? That pushes me all the closer to Christ and helps me mature and grow. And God uses us to reach this world for his glory and his cause. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God stirred in your heart. But what we're going to do is we're going to take of communion this morning. And what I've done is there's a basket in the back. And if you want to grab a, a piece there, I know it's flu season and all that stuff. So I've been smart this time. And I've got the ones that are all packaged together. And so if, if you want to just have a time as they, they lead us in response, if you want to come pray and then maybe get, get one of those packets. But we're going to close this morning doing the very thing that we proclaim that we do as a church. We've, we've, we've seen baptism. We've seen a, a death to life and so this, to close we're going to take communion we're going to celebrate a uh, death to life of Christ and who we are as the people of God and what distinguishes us and makes us so whatever you want to do over the next few moments look inwardly pray if you want to grab that uh, some of the communion elements but we're going to take of communion at the end of service but you be obedient to what God's leading you in maybe something that he's convicted you of maybe sin in your heart maybe maybe a struggle with someone else in this room you need to go to whatever it is that God calls you to do in this moment you be obedient to his leading father help us in this place this morning to hear, see, and follow you. God, give us wisdom. God, convict of sin and draw. Father, we're going to celebrate like crazy here in a moment what you've done for us by way of communion as we have already this morning by what you've done in this young man through death to life and baptism. So Father God, may you be glorified in this place. In your name we pray, amen.